0: welcome to mlr kickoff episode 38 championship edition with your hosts dan power pete steinberg and mvp jp smith
1: hey folks welcome to the championship edition of the mlr podcast dan power with you alongside pete steinberg not only do we have the MVP of the championship, J.P. Smith, but he has uh, got to the celebrity status already in the U.S. He's brought his entourage along with him. Brad Tucker and Shalom Sunni riding shotgun in the car with him as well. But, J.P., firstly, mate, thank you so much for tuning in. It must have been a, a bit of a whirlwind last couple of days for you and the boys in the car going back-to-back back over San Diego on Sunday.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty good winning, winning down in San Diego. We had a good, we obviously had a good, uh, good night of celebrations out, and then boys just had to regroup. And we're we actually in Alaska at the moment doing some coaching clinics, so you know just growing the game.
1: What a nice contrast that is, San Diego to Alaska. Getting a good look at all the different parts of America, mate. Let's talk. Firstly, I'm going to welcome Pete Steinberg in as well. I'll hit the first question, then Pete'll go away. Let's just talk about the week itself leading up to that. You have the game. Uh, the semi-final at home against Toronto. It's an absolute drag-out, smash-out affair. Great game from you personally in that one, uh, as well as uh, the two, you know, goons sitting in the car with you. But how was the week after that and switching focus on to San Diego?
2: Yeah, I think, obviously, we knew that San Diego's a quality team and going down to San Diego and playing them in San Diego was not going to be easy. It's never going to be easy down there. Um especially because we sort of had it in the back of our heads that they had already beaten us twice. But I think after the Toronto game, we we actually just, you know, we got that bit of confidence knowing that, hey, guys, you know, we are going to do this again. We, we've got it, you know. So I just I just think with the week's preparations and all that, you know, everyone was a bit nervous. Um, uh, <laughs> everyone was tense. Um I think I think some of the boys actually, you know, going into it, uh, we didn't really we didn't really know what to expect and you know what to do and all that. But towards the end of the week, I think everyone just sort of bought into it, and we knew that you know we're in there for a reason. So obviously, you know, stick to our structures and just do what we've been doing this whole year. That's why we're in the final. And then I think the last the last little the last little bit that got us over was just you know. Saying to each other that even though it's finals, it's finals rugby that you play the the best rugby when you enjoy it. So just having fun out there, you know, going, out, enjoying it, having fun, and just smiling and being happy that you're in that situation. Because at the end of the day, that's why you play rugby. You play rugby to get into finals, and you know, enjoy that moment that you're in the final.
0: So, so JP, you know, when when you guys were looking at San Diego and what you did, was there anything? That um, you identified that you thought you could take advantage of, and, and did it play out that way?
2: You just broke up there a bit. You can you just?
0: Sure, and, and JP, it might be better if you Sorry. turn. Your, yeah, you, it might be better if you turn your video off. That might might help a little bit. Although, although for those of you that can't see JP, yeah. um, he has lost his moustache. Uh, which I think will be a question from Dan a little bit later, as a, a, a fellow man of uh, of of, um, of uh, facial hair persuasion. So I, I was just saying, like when you when you um, like were preparing for San Diego, was there anything about was there anything about San Diego that you thought you could take advantage of, and did it play out that way in the game, like that in the game?
2: Um, f- first of all, we obviously thought that you know that we, they have a very good kicking game. So our kicking game had to be on point, and second of all, any penalties that that you know we stood off within range of kicking ability was obviously that was a no go. Um, we, we knew we knew what they were going to do. You know they rush hard on the on the fence, and they make everything difficult. And one thing I think we've struggled on this whole year was just you know getting that gain line and making sure that we're actually going forward and not just going backwards all the time. So. I think we, we sort of just you know watched a lot of clips and the guys, the guys that are doing those did a very good job in that and just planned everything out for us and you know obviously it's, it's finals rugby so you know our kicking game was, was, was just basically one of the things that we focused on most of the time, just putting Joe, Joe Peterson, getting him out the game and the only reason we could do that or the only way we could do that was to kick onto him so that we get him onto the ground as, as, as much as possible. Um, and then after that, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, working hard and, and working for longer than, than, what they, than what they had to do because obviously they are a quality team. So I think w- one of the main points was just it will end up coming to who wants it the most. Right, right. So can you, can
0: you pass the phone to Brad? I have a question for Brad. <laughs> peanut Gallery over here? Well, the Peanut Gallery. The, it's your entourage. Give them a little bit of love. It's your, it's your entourage.
3: Please don't refer to us as that.
0: <laughs> so, 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 Brad, one of, the, one of the areas that in the game you, you had a little bit of an edge was in the set piece, both in the scrum and in particular in that, in, in, in that last line out. Um, and, and I think that it was the um, subs that seemed to have a big impact for you guys um, to help you, help you finish at the end. Um, what was it like in the game going up against that pack in those set pieces?
3: I think, um, obviously, all year they've had a strong line-out and a strong scrum, and we knew uh, we probably weren't going to have the edge that we may have had in some games with our scrum this week. Um, Particularly, while all through the game, it was just, you know, grinding out the scrums, securing your ball and trying to put them under as much pressure as we could. We probably didn't get the purchase we were looking for, but um, we definitely got stuck in at line-out time and had a bit more luck there, uh, especially towards the end of the game. Um, But, Again, as JP said, we're constantly looking at film, getting prepared, um, and we're just knowing that in the pack we were just coming for a proper fight.
1: Hey, Brad. It's Dan. Hey, Dan. I miss you. <laughs>
3: miss you too, buddy.
1: <laughs> now, give, give JP the phone, you Muppet. You didn't He's get back. MVP, so give the phone back. <laughs> Is that like you, JP? J- t- oh, t- thank God you're back on the phone, JP. Don't don't <laughs> hand it over again. Whatever happens, don't give him the phone again. He'll get his he'll get his chance to talk when he's good and ready when he has a game worthy of being on this podcast. This is too for you now mate. Oh yeah. I'll take that any day. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you. You've played in some big games before, obviously, you know the U20s with the with the box was a was a big tournament for you personally. What were some of the things that you saw in the sheds before the game because Sometimes you get a look, you get a feel, and you kind of know that the team's ready. Was there anyone that you're looking at in the dressing sheds before the game that you kind of said, "Oh, you know, this he's really up for it today. I'm feeling really confident about how we're going into this game."
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you know you can't really put a name on it. Like everyone was up for it. Everyone really, really, and you, obviously you have Brad in the front and Shalom going me and me and him. So uh, I'm not I'm not going to give them that credit, but. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, we got into the sheds and you look at everyone and, and everyone sort of just had that mindset towards, it, you know, just having real good focus and just staying in structure, staying and just sticking to, to their jobs and just executing their jobs better than, you know, the the, the opposition team. So, for me, personally, I think one guy that, that really, really excited me before the game was uh, Simon Manoa. He was really up for some big hits and, you know, just having having a guy like that being real aggressive or not aggressive, but like just you know wanting to hurt people. That's obviously gives me as a nine gives me a lot of confidence to play behind a pack like that. But in general, just everyone was just up for it. You know, everyone knew what they had to do. They knew what what their jobs were. And like I said earlier, we just knew that you know it's gonna be it's gonna be attitude thing, and it's gonna it's gonna come up to
1: who wants it mo- most. Yeah, mate. Now compare that game to the rest of the season. How was that opening twenty minutes for you?
4: Oh,
2: I think I think the the first bit of the of the of the opening twenty minutes was just settling the nerves. You know, everyone's nerves and and everyone just realizing that it is a finals game, but also it's just another rugby game at, 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 in this in the same in the same um, voice. So you know, just just the first twenty minutes. We obviously, you know. We were a bit under the pump, and um, t- t- sort of towards the last bit of the of the first quarter, we we just we just realised that you know just settling the nerves and just getting over it and getting over that moment and getting getting over everything that you know that has happened. Like in the build up t- towards the towards the final, there's a lot that happened in that week, and you know everyone gets quite hyped up. So settling the nerves for me was just you know the most important thing, and I think everyone in the team just bought into that. Um, we sort of had a chat at the at the at the first quarter break, and you know, uh, I think it was Rikard or Shalom or one of the captains that said, you know, guys, first twenty minutes that's done. You know, we we're in this game now. We know what we have to do. We know what's going to come for us. So just just do your job, like I said, just do your job and work hard.
0: Um, and JP, so you know, you scored a great try with a beautiful stiff arm of Tyanosa. one of the questions that that we've been thinking about is um, when did you install that play and um, like who made the call to actually use it in that situation?
2: Um, I think, I think our forwards looked at, looked at the clips, most of it. So like I said, you know, we did a really, really good job and all the drivers and the the senior guys the team did a really good job with just watching the clips and just knowing what they, what they do and what they don't do. And I think towards, towards Thursday of the week, uh, Forwards, the Ford's came to me and said they really want to do this because uh, they know that the front the front prop is going to follow up on the lifter, and you know I just I looked at them and I I just said you know well obviously if if that's the situation I just got to believe you know and believe I did and I don't know how I got through there I mean after that first after that first uh, uh, when I got the ball the first three meters I I looked up and I saw no one was around me and you know I just had to back myself. And I, probably one of the easiest trials that I will score this year. And uh, just on that, uh, I saw Brad to my right and I just knew, oh, I can't give it to him again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it has to be said that Brad Tucker does run great lines on the inside of the ball when there's a break. So that's true. So, so just to be clear, how many reps of that did you run? Because if it was done on Thursday, you couldn't have run too many of them.
2: Yeah, no. I, no, I... <laughs> They actually brought it in on Thursday when we when we landed in in San Diego. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't actually train it. We didn't even train it on Thursday. We only trained it on Friday with the with the captain's run, or was it Saturday with the captain's run? And I think we did three reps of it.
0: Well, I, I guess I guess that was enough. And then and then on on the you know you've you've played scrum half and you've played fly half, but on that last play you were also playing flanker. You came right. in on that more... Um yeah, so, uh, did you did you add a lot, do you think in
2: that drive? can I, can I be hundred percent honest with you is that uh, one of the things that uh, Shalom and I was mentioned to Brad coming on these coaching clinics, and obviously towards going into next season, we just obviously had to say to the forwards that we'll do the malls next year so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think as soon as soon as that ball went out we we knew that you know this is going to be it for us. this is our last chance. so. We just had to throw everything into it, and I think Brock Stoller was actually in that in that mall before Brad Tucker was in that mall. So <laughs> I think it was four four back four of, our, four of, our, four of our backs came into that mall, and we just you – know, to be honest, I was a bit scared to go towards the ball because I didn't want to end up losing the ball or something, so I just joined and just started swimming past the ball and let the boys control it, the guys that actually know what to do in the mall.
1: <laughs> all right, JP, this question's actually going to be for all three of you, but I'll start with you and Game's over now. We all know the result. You guys go back to back. So I want the honest to God answer. What okay. was going through your mind when that penalty's blown, you kicked a touch, and you know you've got that line out. You know exactly what you're doing. What was running through your head? Oh just probably not
2: not screw it up, I think to be honest for me. Uh, I I definitely I definitely when I think and and Brad also mentioned it during during this uh last bit of the last few days. When when they kicked that drop goal, we sort of knew that we had, still had a chance because, you know, they could have kept the ball for I think I think it was two minutes left when he kicked the drop goal. Yeah. And when he kicked that drop goal, they were only four points ahead. So like to be to be honest with you, I, I really you know, th- that is also like one of the things that, that Brad had mentioned and I think about it now and that, that's really true, is that, you know, we actually could've we, we can win this still because you know, one, one score from us and, and we've got it. So for me, I just think total belief from the boys and just backing the systems, you know. And one thing that I've, that I've said this, this throughout this whole year is that you create your own luck. And, geez, man, there's no better way to,
4: to show that.
1: Bradley, Shalom, your thoughts?
4: I really want to go back and chat about that mall situation.
1: <laughs> you know what? I saw you get in there, Lommy, and you were in there quick. I think you just beat Rolls in there. You got in there first, and it was stagnant. It wasn't moving. And then the Suniula brothers came in with that uh, the Kelston high shove, and over she went.
4: I don't think the, the back profile was uh, as straight as they wanted it, but it was good enough. And uh, I keep giving Brad a hard time that we're uh... – we're definitely taking them more sessions next year.
1: But <laughs> so what were you, what were you thinking, Lommy? Because it's different for you, right? Because execution of the lineout has nothing to do with you. You just got to <laughs> kind of sit back and know, hey, there's a chance that I'm going to have to run in here and help out. Or so. What was going through your yeah. head, mate?
4: So the huddle prior to the lineout was um, the Ford. In fact, the Ford's had no idea. All they knew was their lineup call, and they were driving. Um, but us backs got together, and we weren't having a pretty – on the last quarter, we weren't having – we weren't handling the ball quite well. It was a lot of knock-ons from JP, and um, <laughs> there were a couple of knock-ons there. We just wanted to make sure that, hey, you know what? It's it's better if we just put all our chips in here and, and, and go all in on this one. Again, never train, never practice it, but it was more of a – this is our best bet if we go about it this way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yep. What about you, Brad? Because you were in the thick of it, mate. You were a big contributor in that, and you end up scoring the try.
3: Yeah, I think um, obviously. Oh, we saw. Oh, I always thought, you know, he's a good chance as long as JP finds touch because he's missed touch a few times this year. Um, <laughs> so I was pretty nervous about that, but once he found touch, uh, we we got to line out and it was they were going to go for a sack. They had their props in the middle. Um. And we sort of withheld that. A few of us got spat out the back. And by the time came back to the mall, all I could see was JP, Shalom and Roland. And I'm like, geez, we need to find the ball here. We've got idiots all through this uh, mall. Um, What are we going to do? So I guess just got into the middle of it, got the ball to the back. And then thankfully those guys uh, did a few squats this year and they found a way to line for the boys. Um, And then, I don't know, it was madness after that.
1: I know. I can. I can only imagine. And you know, you guys obviously watch Game of Thrones. Lord Varys, uh, the you know the the master of whispers. I actually have my whispers all around Major League Rugby. And you can confirm or deny this one. Is it true? At the aftermatch when you'd finished up and you guys were celebrating out in San Diego, that uh, J P Smith was approached when We Are the Champions came on by Queen, and they asked, oh, "Are you really Rami Malik? Is that true?"
3: Yeah, well, there was actually a lot of confusion because people dead set thought he was Rami Mellet when we were out. Um, he was getting a lot more popularity than normal. Uh, ever since getting called out for looking like Freddie Mercury, it's been all go. Um, to be fair, all we heard all night was was We Are The Champions. And all we'd been hearing all week was JP singing We Will Rock You. So it was an interesting week for the boys.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, so um, I, I have a question and, and any of you guys can on, answer this, but you know, one of the things you, as you watch the game is you got to feel for the, um, the the San Diego Legion who, who played a great game, um, you know, were, were standard bearers for the season. It's actually the second year in a row that Seattle have beaten the standard bearers, lost twice to them during the regular season, but pulled it out in the final. What were some of the things that you heard from the San Diego guys? Obviously, you know a bunch of those guys. Some of you have played with them. What What were some of the connections? I think one of the great things about rugby is after the game that 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 you end up bonding sort of with, you know, as part of the community with the other side. What What was it like and, and, and what was said between you guys and the San Diego Legion players?
4: Um, I'm not sure if you guys were at the after match, but that was quite a beautiful moment there where we got together and I mean obviously San Diego were devastated but I think the most important part there was was mainly um, you know how exciting it was the amount of viewers that watched the game Uh, we recognized the amount of community work that was happening um, in San Diego just this entire season how much better this season was compared to last year and the platform that, um, you know, all players and production team and front office people, ownership, just league-wide, uh, everybody involved, uh, how much better of a standard the league was um, all around uh, this year. So that was the biggest thing to celebrate um, more than anything, and that was recognised. it. And we also recognised um, the guys who were representing a uh, national team, because, um, again, that is a KPI of the league as more people... Um, you know, the standard of play uh, is raising, which means hopefully more players get to represent their country, which was, uh, was honoured in that room.
1: Well, you guys are the champions, back-to-back. Congratulations, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it over the next couple of weeks before, you know, I guess 2020 preparations start. Is the, is the plan for the three to be back in Seattle next year?
4: Yeah, I'm the forwards coach next year. Um,
0: (laughs) See, like I said, like I said, Dan, there are going to be some relationships that are harmed during the making of this podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Lommy can do it all. I think you played a little hooker in seven, so why not?
3: Oh, come on, Dan.
1: No, well, we appreciate you guys jumping on tonight. I know uh, you 're up there working uh up in Alaska, helping grow the game up there, and you know pat on the back to all three of you for doing that so soon after a championship game. I know the rest of the team probably still continuing to party, and there 's rumors that you may be getting a uh a parade in Seattle, and I really hope that comes to fruition because you guys deserve it it 's been great calling you this year up there in Seattle and on the road with c b s so uh, thoroughly enjoy it, and uh, you thoroughly deserve it as well. So, thanks again, boys, for jumping on.
2: Yes, thank you, Dan, and th- thank you for everything you guys have done. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure for me coming over here. Like, like Shalom mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's all about the growth of the game, and in that off-match function, you know, you spoke about the viewers and you know the players and everything, and it it wouldn't work for the players if 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 you guys weren't on board. You know, you guys are the ones that drive the league, and you know get the recognition, we get the recognition for it, but you guys are the guys that work behind the scene, so uh, thank you for you guys.
1: Well, give Russia a wave on your way home, and uh, we will catch up soon. You uh, you, and Brad have a, a date on the golf course with me eventually. We will get that done one of these days.
2: Oh, yeah, that, That's sound, that sounds really good, yeah.
1: You too, Lommy. I don't know if you play golf or not, but... No, Why we not? We don't want him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> enough said. You guys enjoy, enjoy the drive home. It sounds like it'll be one of the good ones. Thanks again for coming on, boys. Thank
2: you very much. Thanks,
1: Appreciate it. Uh, well, well, it wasn't just our uh, MVP there, Pete. We had all three, and uh, three big contributors had both th- – uh, all three players had huge games on Sunday.
0: They did, and and I'm I'm you know I think this is one of the things that is just different about rugby, right? That you've got three guys they just won um, the major league rugby championship, and you know they're not flying off to Hawaii to put their legs up. They they head up to Alaska. It's part of the relationship that the SeaWolves have with Adibus. That's a big grassroots um, uh, um, rugby development program based in Seattle, and they're up there growing the game. And you can just hear that, how much they enjoy doing that. And I think. You know, that that connection with the community that all the major league rugby teams have, I think it's been an eye-opener for um, fans that have joined from other American sports.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the deeper rugby sinks its teeth into the sporting fabric in the United States, the more and more people will look at it and appreciate, you know, the qualities that... There's, there's a lot of that, uh, you know, nostalgia... Of how sports used to be that still exists in rugby, yet there's a lot of other aspects that are current and very inclusive in rugby as well, which makes it so appealing to such a broad spectrum of people. So, and like you said, I don't think you'd find too many uh, national championships, you know, teams heading up to Alaska to do a coaching clinic two days removed from a championship or three days. Well, they're up two days, two days removed from a championship. So, again, huge, huge effort and just quality. Guys, all three of them.
0: Yeah, I, it's been. I mean, I've, I've, I'm I, as a scrum half. Um, you know, JP Smith has just been wonderful to watch. He's got all the skills. Um, I think Richie Walker did a, a, a really um, tremendous job in in leveraging um, <clears throat> JP Smith and um, and Phil Mac. Phil Mac, in his own right, is a like a very top level scrum half an international scrum half for Canada. Um, but Richie, I think you know, really hit on the formula of starting JP Smith with Benzema and then um, moving JP to fly half and bringing Phil Mack on because when the game breaks down, there's probably not, there, there are probably very few players with Phil Mack's ability to be able to create. You know, he's sort of like that Mikey Teo. He can make things happen um, when the game breaks down. So uh, I thought that was uh, that was well handled. And you know, I, I we all have the love for Brad Tucker. I mean, his stats are kind of off the charts and um you know for me this year and last year um you know uh, shalom without shalom seattle just aren't the same team um i think it's not just his leadership but also um his ability of being able to sort of um, play a very um uh, expansive game from 12 so um all of them have been very important for the seawolves this year Yep, it was Seattle who
1: won. There were two sides who played. Let's just jump into the final and have a talk about some of these stats. 26-23, unless you've been uh, living in a very dark cave under a rock in that cave. That was the final score. Seattle on the final play of the game, get the win. But San Diego, again, hindsight's twenty isn't it, Pete? I think they played a great game. Didn't really let themselves down in too many facets of the game. The game was theirs to win. But the drop goal towards the end there, you know, if they hold on and win it, and it's a masterstroke, right? It's a great play. But we look back now, and they lost the game, and you just asked that question, should they have held on to the ball there and tried to grind that out for the next two minutes?
0: But I I don't think the game was lost there, Dan. I, You know, the game was really interesting to me. I mean, I've I've, um, called a number of San Diego games. I've had a number of conversations with Rob Hoadley, and there were – you know, two areas of um, two flaws that San Diego had throughout the season um, that um, were problems for them. So so the first one was penalties um, and and they solved that um, somewhat uh, against the Seawolves. They only had um, uh, seven penalties and three of those were in the last 10 minutes. That's that's a lot less. I think they had 11 or 12 Against Rooney the week the week before and Rooney like scored a lot of um, scored two tries off their penalties so so they're able to handle that. The other challenge they really had was accuracy with the ball in the attacking zone, and this is where I think San Diego lost the game. They they had eleven handling errors. They had um, I think it it was um, Paddy Ryan and Josh Ferno together had five handling errors. Those are two of their big runners. And Seattle did a, the Seattle forwards did a great job of coming up and hitting those guys. I mean, these weren't easy drop ons, um, uh, easy drops. These were under pressure when someone's coming to hit you really hard. And I think four of the handling errors that San Diego had was when they were in the attacking zone and it just let off Seattle, where every time Seattle had a scoring opportunity, pretty much they scored.
1: You wonder if that's the Mikey Taylor effect, right? That creativity, that circuit breaker player that you've got there. Um, yeah. And then losing Ty at, you know early in the second half, who's a similar style of player. And then you just kind of lose that little X factor at the back there. And it was...
0: And of course, Audsley. Like they'd lost Audley earlier. Like like they were kind of thin in in the bat line. And, and, and Will Holder came in. In fact, I, I would argue that Will Holder won the game for them against Rooney with two line breaks in the last ten minutes. Mm, no, um, I agree. But so, it, 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 but it was just you know they they weren't um, uh, really in in the position to be able to leverage all of the people that they had. So so I think one area where San Diego let themselves down was in that handling error and accuracy in the attacking zone, and it's been a problem throughout the year because they would completely outplay teams, but the sport score would be close because their lack of ability to be accurate in that attacking zone. The second area was something that I think we highlighted last weekend, which is that Seattle had the slight edge in the set piece. And so if you look, um, you know, San Diego won all of their scrums, but they had a couple that had to be reset. Um, If you looked at uh, um, Seattle, they won all of their scrums, and they had none that had to be reset. So what that says is that um, San Diego were unable to pressure the Seattle scrum enough that, that they were they were going to take it down. So I think that there was a slight edge in the ability to better control the scrum. I think went to Seattle. But the big impact for me was actually in in the lineout. And um, you know, as I was watching the game, and Brad Tucker stood at the back of the lineout, I was like screaming to San Diego. I'm like, they're going to throw the back, and then that something would happen in the middle. The San Diego defensive jumpers would move forward, and then that and then Curty would throw it to the back to, to Tucker. I mean, it happened over and over again. It happened in that very last line out, or the second-to-last line out that led to the uh, um, that led to the penalty. Um, they 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 threw to the back. They were never able to solve that. But Brad Tucker, being an amazing defensive line-out um, uh, um, jumper, was able to steal um, three of the lineouts of of San Diego. And again, that close, that ends up being really important. Yeah, I know. Uh... It's a couple of
1: really good performances. i got to give special mention to Jordan Menehera. I think had his best game of the year in a losing side, carried the ball 12 times, only got 54 metres, so it was very tough going. You mentioned that the defence was brutal. Uh, Nakatini and Samu Manoa really stepped up in the middle of the field and really locked that down, along with Brad Tucker and Nakai Penny, those guys that we're used to seeing defending so well through the middle, but he also had a big game uh, defensively did Manaher as well. Perfect on tackles going 12 for 12. So big game from the number eight and really kept him in. I think he got a try as well uh, for San Diego. So good performance from him, but it's going to be an interesting off season now for San Diego dissecting that. And, you know, I don't think they're going to go the same way, Pete, but just as a warning, you look at what Glendale did from 2018 to 2019, that, Hangover really affected them, right? The scar from that loss, they didn't make the changes they needed to make. And, you know, the team never really recovered from that. They had a really down year this year. So San Diego probably in a much better situation. Um, but well,
0: I, I, something I think
1: to watch. Yeah. About.
0: I mean, but I think, like, if you look at San Diego, San Diego on the upswing, right? So if you look at where they were last year, they were a great team last year, but they couldn't scrum and that inability to scrum is why they lost against Seattle. And so here they've they've solved that like they brought in Paddy Ryan who's just had a phenomenal season. Um you know, they brought in Lou Stanfield. I mean, there were some older guys. I mean, the big question is, is Joe Peterson back? I mean, that's Yeah, that. he's coming back. Oh, so Joe Peterson is back. So that's he, a, said he was a, a coming big... back on Sunday. He said he was coming back on oh. Sunday. Thanks for for Aaron who was who was there there at the game um you know i thought it was interesting that they um you know san diego didn't use two of their back subs which i think tells you something about sort of what the rob hoadley and the coaching staff thought of their backs like again i just don't feel like they had the depth they lost some firepower out wide i mean nick boy is a really nice solid player but he's not he's not like a guy that really creates something for himself um and i don't think Connor kearns does as well so i think there's some work to be done i think that um I, I look I, I love what um Rob Hoadley is doing there. I think he's he's a values based coach. I think the culture there is strong. I think they played really well. Um I, I don't think uh, they're I think the difference is that they won't walk off that field saying, Man, we played so badly, which is what Glendale did last year. Mm-hmm. Um they'll they'll walk off the field saying, Man, we played well and just it just the ball didn't bounce our way. And the ball bounced their way against Rooney the week before.
1: Yeah, that is true. Rob Hovey had a great year, though. I mean,
0: uh, I, I have so much time for that guy. I think he's they, a, yeah, a great they coach. were
1: the standard for the entire year, and it's. I think I think it's going to really galvanize that program. I think if they, if it is true, and Joe Peterson's coming back, uh, he's a year older, but we'll see what he does if he can recover in the off season. It's a long off season for him, longer than what he's probably used to in the past. Um, I've made plenty of promises after a game after a few beers as well that haven't (laughs) haven't been through. Uh, But, you know, he comes back. Paddy Ryan comes back. Those two are going to be a big part of it because there's so much talent down there and there's, you know, Southern California, there's just so much good young rugby there. I think I watched the game this year or last year as a high school game and I was so impressed with the standard of high school rugby from when I moved to the US 12 years ago to now. I remember watching a high school game when I first got here and it was, as you probably, you've been here longer than I have, as you can probably remember as well, a decade ago, it was kind of like cringeworthy at times. It's like, ooh, but the quality was outstanding. And that, that pathway is coming through Southern California now. So they're headed in the right direction of Legion. you will be... uh 2020 we'll see we'll see who they sign but I'm getting way too far Um, yeah
0: I mean I think look both of these teams I think have solid foundations I mean we talked last year um the um Seattle Seawolves are, are an older team um you know they do have some some of their key players um like uh Shalom like Matt Turner in their 30s but you know they're still able to perform um I think one of the things and and you know this is like a, a bit of a personal insight, but I think one of the things that Seattle did that was really good is they got Ian Gibbons to come and help them with the strength and conditioning. And, you know, talking to a lot of the teams in, um, uh, in major league rugby, there's a lot of, Oh, we have this really good strength and conditioning guy. He doesn't know rugby, but he's really good. Um, it's different at this level and Ian, um, had worked with Eddie Jones at Wasps and, um, had worked, uh, um, like in the Pro 14 and had really, like he worked with us with the uh, at the Women's World Cup and the guy makes such a difference. It, it just makes you more efficient in your practices. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Seattle, like finished so strong is I think they had a real quality S&C guy that was able to keep that fitness going um, and allow them to finish hard. Do we have that conversation
1: this week? Was that you and I? I, no. I literally had the exact same conversation. I said, you know, one of the the next the next big peak we're going to see in professional rugby here is the employment of rugby specific strength and conditioning because it's so different, so so different.
0: And- and and, and 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 just to give people an idea about what's different, because everyone will be like, well, surely like they're in the weight room and on the track, right? And and you just get them to to meet some physical standards. If you have like someone like Ian Gibbons, they're never on the track. Because Ian sits down with you and you develop your practice plans that include include the conditioning that he wants. And so you never have to have the players run conditionings or rarely run conditionings. There might be like an extra two or three minutes in the middle. But most of it is like, hey, what are you going to do? Let's talk about like I need them to run this amount of like this length at this, at this rate. Let's create the practices. And that's what's different when you've got a real strength and conditioning guy is the ability for you to be able to maximise the time that you have with those players. And, you know, without that rugby knowledge, and Ian himself was a professional rugby player, without that rugby knowledge, I think it's really, really hard to maximise the time that you spend with those players because then you actually have to have a separate conditioning session. And that's just more wear and tear on their legs. It allows you to have more practises longer practices, like all those sorts of things that you want to do. And even in a pro environment, everyone thinks you do more, actually you do less. I mean, some of these, I would guess that most of these teams at the end of the season are practicing less than four hours a week, which is what most club teams would do. Like they're doing 45 minute sessions and then they're done. And so maximizing that time is critical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mate, let's just talk about some of the highlights from the game. Major League Rugby makes his debut on on network television. It's on CBS. It does 510,000 viewers on a Sunday time slot competing against the U.S. Open. Um, Me personally, um, I'm happy with that number. I think that's actually a great number. Uh, If the U.S. Open isn't on, um, I think it doubles. I really do because the casual, there's easy another half a million casual TVs on a Sunday afternoon looking for sport that would have found that game if the U.S. Open's not on
0: yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm happy with that number two i think that there's um uh you know we we ranked really well i mean interestingly as a comparison um nbc had their new lacrosse league on um at this i think it was at the same time and also on nbc network and um rugby was uh i think 50 percent more so so I think that's probably a pretty fair comparison about how well we did. Um, we also did really well in the, I think it's like seventeen to forty eight range or something like that. Which, by the way, Dan, I'm forty eight, so I have like ten more months of being interesting to advertisers, and then it's all over. I didn't wow. realize that. I'm like, hold on, Soon I'm gonna be forty nine, and advertisers aren't gonna care about me. But I think it was a very strong, um, it was a very strong start. I think that the uh, um, I think that we're. Uh, um, uh, I think that that we're, we're set up for. Um, there's one more year, I think, of the CBS deal. Um, hopefully, we're set up with um, maybe more games on CBS, maybe playoff games. Uh, I thought the broadcast was really good. Um, you know, we both worked with some of the CBS guys. It was great to work with those professionals um, in, in in the semi final. And um, you know, half a million people watching rugby is kind of cool in America. Yeah.
1: You know, it's it's only going to go up and up and up from here. So it's just it's an outstanding you know first step. And now what what we do with it's really up to us. And hopefully we can grow up from here and and get going. But you know, another number I really like to talk about, Pete. It's the tipping number from this season because I won. I got
0: gotcha. you. Well, you know, Dan, when when it's someone like you that doesn't win very much in life, I think I'll give this one to you. And that's why you're a better man than me, Pete Steinberg. Although, although I'd like to point out that, like you know, I didn't have that one week where Mark Stabina was on and he took my, you know, my picks and I'm oh, it shorter, doesn't matter. Even
1: even with that week subtract, subtracted, I still beat you on percentages by. Roughly 3%. I had a 3% better strike rate on picking than you did. So, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, boo-boo. I'm better I, than I'm you I'm pretty did.
0: certain if we went all the way back to the very first Major League Rugby kickoff in Season 1, no. I'm pretty certain if we went back, I said something like, I hate picking. It doesn't make sense to me. As a coach, I don't care about whether you win or lose. I care about, like, the processes. So I am very, very happy to let you be the lucky one and make the pit.
1: Yeah, but you're not a coach anymore. What team do you coach right now? That's right. You're a commentator and people <laughs> want to hear your picks. So make those picks. I got in trouble for not making a pick, so I know what that's all about. But mate, let's uh let's talk about some other things around the league. Some news and notes, some some news this week that come out. We'll start with uh some some bad news, I guess, is Utah have parted way with their coaching staff. Two years for Alf Daniels, So they get to the playoffs in year one. Um, a disrupted year this year really saw them saw them slow out of the gates, and they were on the upward swing late. And there was some thought that he was going to get another shot there, but the ownership group has decided to start fresh in 2020. So Alf Daniels and Stevie Scott uh, no longer with Utah, and but in positive news, Glendale have appointed forwards coach Pete Borlais as their new head coach, which. Uh, uh, I have some personal time with with Pete, and I think this is actually a really, really good hire for the club in terms of what I think they need to do to improve in 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, first with with Utah, I think um, I, I think this is a little harsh on Alf. I'll be honest. Um, however, uh, when you're not inside, you don't know what's going on, right? So, because um, I thought, like, the measure to me of a coach is not wins and losses, but whether you see improvement. And, um, you know, I think that with places like um, Houston and um, Austin and Glendale, it, it, it wasn't easy to see improvement um, uh, with, with um, their, their original head coach. But I feel like with Utah, there was. I think you could see growth in that team. You could see that team getting better. I think that you're right. They started slow and they started behind the eight ball, but you know, they really had some good performances later on in the season. So, so to me, that's, that's tough, but I'm, um, you know, I'm sure this wasn't done like the Alph is anyone that's worked with Alf knows he's, he's a great guy. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure this was done, uh, you know, with, with a real understanding about what that team needs. Um, and then for Glendale, an interesting um, choice, right? So the choice is to, you know, stay with some continuity, not start afresh, um, they've brought luke gross um, in as an assistant coach which i think is a great call i think luke having worked with him is a great coach um and uh, i think they're still um, in process of appointing a backs coach so there'll be a a, a new group in glendale will be very interesting to see um you know what they take from the approach right. that they had this year um what they throw out and what the team looks like next year
1: Yep, I didn't uh, mention Luke Gross, great guy as well. He was uh, head coach of the uh, Sacramento Freshmakers, the Mento stuff there since <laughs> 2016. So he's got some professional coaching experience under his belt as well. Uh, the other big one was Paul Emmerich. Uh, he decided to stay in Houston. There was some talk that he was uh, in the market for some other jobs, but. Uh, Houston SaberCats get to keep uh, Paul Emmerich for another couple of years down there, and at this point in time, not the head coach is what we're hearing, but again, that could change uh, in the next couple of weeks. But they're doing a rejig of their front office there as well at the moment. The the SaberCats, but another team that finished uh, unbelievably well and uh, under under Paul Emmerich down there, who. You know, you know, Paul, as well as I do, just an outstanding competitor during his playing days for a surprisingly calm and relaxed guy off the field. It, it was almost Jekyll and Hyde when he was on and off the field because just ultra-competitive, physical, you know, unbelievably physical guy on the field who would tooth and nail for for an inch of turf, but off the field just a relaxed, almost a Southern California, you know, hippie kind of style guy, just very, very chilled and happy to sit down and have a chat about some of the finer things in life so Paul stays in Houston and your thoughts on that
0: one well I mean I think that one of the issues that um Houston had was that they they had their director of rugby and head coach in the same person and so um I'm 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 hoping that they're going to split that I think that um it's not I think that it's possible I mean even in even in American sports um you'll see coaches try to do it very few do it well um and I think in rugby, it's really hard, especially with the international flavor and the international relationship. So it'll be interesting to see if if they change their model, if they bring in a head coach and they appoint a director of rugby. Um, I think that's what they're going to do. And I think that Paul did a great job, but I mean, he'd probably admit himself, he's probably not quite ready to make that step full-time, but I think he's had a good taste and I think he demonstrated culturally what he can do to make an impact. So it, I think um, Houston will be very happy uh, to be able to keep him within the family.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, it's good to keep some continuity from that four-game winning streak as well for them to take into twenty twenty a familiar face down there for the SaberCats. Well, Pete, that wraps up the show. It was uh, it's been a great season, mate. I was going to say, I'm thank sad you for you.
0: I'm sad the season's over.
1: Like, have, literally, have- I've
0: got withdrawal. We
1: we. We only got a couple of games together this year too. I was kind of a bit disappointed, but maybe we can fix that in 2020. But uh, I just want to say thank you to you, Pete Steinberg, for being you and and being my partner in crime this year on the podcast and Aaron Castro, our producer as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope the fans at home have enjoyed our insights, uh, whether you agree with them or not, uh, as long as you enjoy them in distaste or or taste, doesn't matter.
0: Well, it's been great working with you, Dan. I agree with you. I'm disappointed that we weren't able to work together, but I'm sure we'll be able to do that soon, um, uh, you know, in, in the new year. that Maybe we'll have that written into our contract. I also want to thank Aaron for everything that he's done. Um, we're not going away. Uh, we've still got stuff to do. There's still news to report on. We've got, um, uh, you know, we've got... Um, uh, season teams and, and players of the year and forwards of the years and coach of the year and all that sort of stuff coming up. So we'll be doing that as well as, um, the PNC and the world cup coming up. So there's lots for us to do. If you like this podcast, please go ahead and, um, review us. Five star reviews are the best, um, on iTunes or Stitcher or Google play, wherever you get your podcast, the more people that review and the better the review, the easier it is for people to find us.
1: Well said, Pete. Well said. Till next time. Next week, we are actually going to be uh, diving into Team of the Year. We'll be announced by Major League Rugby next week. So we'll record the show right after we have the team in our hand and we'll dive into that as well. And hopefully, we can get some of those players selected for the uh, the bigger awards on the show as well. So that was good tonight, having all three of the Seawolves guys on here. They did a good job. All right, folks, that wrapped it up. Till next week. Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. Thanks a lot for listening in.